Amen. Thank you for that music. After the music and the testimonies, uh, my heart is just so full. We don't need a sermon. We could just have the benediction and go home. Since I'm deceased anyway. (laughs) Don't look so excited. We're going to get a sermon. So there you have it. Well, I was at the Alaska camp meeting with nothing to do all day Friday until the evening meeting, and so I decided to check out the number one tourist attraction in Fairbanks, Sam's Club. <laughs> I was sitting there eating my pizza, minding my own business, when the gentleman next to me started up a conversation. He said, where are you from? I said, Walla Walla, fully expecting that he would respond as everybody used to respond when I would say I was from Walla Walla. They would say something like, oh, yes, the town's so nice. They named it twice. Or is there really a Walla Walla? No way. But he didn't do that. He just sat there pensively. And finally, he said, a lot of Adventists in Walla Walla, aren't there? So well, you must be a Seventh-day Adventist. No, he says, I'm not, but I, well, yeah, I guess I, I, yeah, I, and he read the confused look on my face and felt compelled to explain himself. He said, years ago, saw this big ad in the local paper with garish beasts and a harlot sitting on a dragon uh, advertising some prophecy seminar. So just for kicks, a bunch of friends and I, we all decided to go. And that night... On a dare, we all got baptized as Adventists. Said, I've never been to the church. This was at a local high school. I have no idea what Adventists believe, but I guess technically, I'm an Adventist. (laughs) I've wondered since how many people there are out there like him who maybe are followers of Christ or Adventists in name, but in terms of how they live, it makes no matter at all. There's this disconnect between how they live and what they say they believe. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would have a real problem with this. You saw it there in the Scripture reading earlier. Hopefully your Bibles are open. We're in chapter 1, verse 22. Where James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, what's heard in the holy place must be put into practice in the marketplace or it has no value. Anyone who listens to the word, James says, but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets What he looks like. This is sort of the comical side of James. You ever see somebody and they maybe have a piece of food in their teeth and you find yourself wanting to fix it in your own mouth, even though you know you're not the one with the problem, but you want to somehow convey without being rude. "Mm, mm." And so you start. You ever do that or is that just me? And then when they don't get the hint, Finally, you say, I, you got some broccoli right there. And you don't say it, but you're thinking, it's driving me crazy. Just Now imagine if somebody said, oh, really? And pulls out a mirror and looks and says, sure enough, I do. And puts the mirror back and does nothing about it. 
And there you are. Hmm. 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 Well, James says that's what it's like. Somebody who reads the word, but doesn't do something about the word. There's no value in that. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed by what he does. The life of blessing comes to those who read the word of God and then put it into practice. They go do the word of God. Now, I don't suppose there's anybody here who would have a problem with this. We would all agree, wouldn't we, that we should learn together from the word of God and then put it into practice. It's like when Jesus says, you are called to love. This is how you will know the authentic disciples of mine. They love one another. And we'd all agree with that, that, yeah, we ought to put the word into practice. We ought to be loving people. The question is, will we actually do it? My favorite story, I've told it hundreds of times probably, maybe you've heard of the professor, who was known to give unsolicited advice to all of the parents in his neighborhood. His favorite sermon to preach at them was, you've got to love your kids. Don't get impatient with your kids. Never yell at a kid. Don't spank a child. But love, love, love your kids. Mind you, he had no children of his own. You probably already assumed that. Well, late one evening, he was standing at a distance, admiring his handiwork. The day had spent all day pouring a cement slab for his driveway. Just then, out of nowhere, darts this kid from the neighborhood, goes tramping across the freshly poured cement, leaving deep foot imprints in his driveway. Well, the professor goes ballistic. You good for nothing, little tramp. What do you think you do? Just then a neighbor pops his head up from behind the fence and says, ah, 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 professor, you got to love that kid. Love, love, love. To which the professor said, well, I do love the kid in the abstract, but not in the concrete. Uh, We're good at loving in the abstract. We're good at reading the word of God and thinking about it in abstract terms. But what I want to do together this morning is to just get painstakingly practical and give you four concrete ways that you can be starting today a doer of the word. Are you game? So we'll just kind of give an overview of the book of James and focus in on four broad themes, suggesting how we can actually take the word and put it into action. Beginning with the ministry of noticing. This might be called being a doer of the word with your eyes. Just notice the needs of people around you. James 2 Verses 15 and 16. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good 
is that? Now, this would be funny if it were not so tragic, the illustration that James uses. Can you imagine going to somebody who is starving and naked and saying, how do you like my threads? Want to sit there and watch me eat Krispy Kreme donuts? Well, that's what James says here. Suppose you see somebody who's hungry and naked and you do nothing about their needs. James says, notice. See, you can be a doer of the word with your eyes and just see the hurts of people. See the joys and notice. I got a letter from my conference president this many years ago. And basically, it simply said, Dear Carl, I noticed. I noticed an article that you had published in such and such a magazine. I noticed that the numbers in your church are going up, tithe and baptisms and so on. I just wanted to say thank you. P.S. Enclosed, you will find a very small token of my appreciation. And sure enough, you'd included in the envelope this crisp $5 bill. Isn't that classy? And not a lot of money, but imagine if all of you were to notice what I do. <laughs> I'm kidding. I am joking. Don't send me money. You know, unless you're like really spiritual or something like that. Then who am I to squatch the work of the spirit? Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's just so simple. To notice, hey, I noticed that you seem to be down a little bit lately. I heard your parents are going through a divorce. Would you like to talk about it? I noticed how happy your kids seem to be. Just notice, just being a doer of the word with your eyes. Second suggestion, be a doer of the word with your ears. This might be called the ministry of empathizing. My dear brothers, chapter 1, verse 19, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In Sabbath school this morning, somebody said sympathy looks up while empathy looks down. See, when James says, be quick to listen, he's not just talking about hearing auditory sounds that somebody says. Say, crawl into their skin. Try to imagine what is it like, what she's going through, what he's facing in his world right now. And empathize. Enter into their pain, into their world. Marion Rouge, some years ago, wrote a poem that I think James would really, really like. She writes, if I could have one wish, just a temporary one, I would wish for a fruit basket upset of skin color and nationalities. Let those who poke fun at ethnics feel the hurt of black jokes and Polish jokes, whitey jibes, slanty-eyed stories and jokes about Jews. Let them be outcasts because they are different. Then... When they return to their original color and nationality, they will express only kindness. If I could have a wish, just a temporary one, I would wish all skinny people to grow fat. (laughs) 
uncomfortably so. Gaining day after day, fighting back the tears as the pounds count up. Let them diet on rabbit food, low carbohydrates, banana milk, egg, grapefruit, or liquid diets. Let them leave the table with stomachs growling while others eat chocolate pie. Let them feel the hurt of mockery, snide remarks, fat jokes, laughter, and ridicule. Let them feel depressed as they struggle to lose a pound and gain two the next day. Let them feel hopeless, helpless, unloved, and unwanted as they go through life. Then when they return to their normal size, they'll be more sensitive to those who cry out and sigh. If I could have a wish, it's a temporary one. I would wish all beautiful people to turn ugly. Let them cry as they look in a mirror and see freak marks of sin, ugly burns, moles, disfigurement. Let people stare and snicker at them. Let them be left out of circles of friends, unwanted by the opposite sex. Let them feel loneliness. Then, when they are beautiful again, they will be less vain. If I could have a wish, just a temporary one, I would turn the clock ahead for young people and make them old. Let them hobble because of stiff joints. Let them walk a little slower and eat a little longer. Let them be lonely and shut in from the world, especially on holidays. Let them have only memories, but no love. Then when they are young again, they will be more considerate of senior citizens. If I could have just one wish, a permanent one, I would wish that everyone would practice the ministry of empathy. Then we would truly experience earth as it is in heaven. You'll have a chance today to put the word into action by practicing the ministry of empathy, by doing the word with your ears, hearing the hurts, the heartaches of others. So maybe tonight, as you pull into the 7-Eleven down the street, just quickly to get some directions because you're lost, and you talk to the person running the cash register. He's obviously from Iraq or Iran or one of those countries that you only see a lot about on the news. He speaks very broken English and you're frustrated because he can't understand you. Rather than being frustrated and running out in a huff, maybe tonight you and I can be doers of the word with our ears and we can put this practice of empathy to work. And we can... Try to imagine what it's like to be working the midnight shift, a dead-end job, probably at minimum wage, in a foreign country where every day there is blatant discrimination leveled against you and trying just to make ends meet in a foreign country. Probably wasn't his dream to be working all night at 7-Eleven, trying to keep his children, his family fed and warm. And rather than being frustrated and running out in a huff, maybe tonight you and I would go across the street to a McDonald's and get a gift certificate and say, hey, when your shift's over, why not go get a milkshake or take your kids out to an ice cream cone or 
Just try to imagine what it's like in His world. See, we can do this. Let's be doers of the Word. With our eyes, notice. With our ears, empathize. With our mouths. Have you ever thought about the power of the words that you and I speak? Power either to build up or to destroy. James has a lot to say about the power of the tongue. Verse 26. Pretty blunt here. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. It's pretty clear, isn't it? If you can't control your tongue, don't call yourself a Christian. It's James that points out the tongue is like a bit And this small bit controls this very powerful animal. You can steer a horse just through a small little instrument in the bit in his mouth. He says, the tongue, it's like a rudder controlling this huge ship, pointing it in whatever direction you want to go. That's the power of the tongue. Or it's like a little spark, one little spark around here, and you could start a forest fire that would destroy thousands Hundreds of thousands of acres of land. One little spark. That's the power of the words you speak today. Jan Van Leeuwen understands the power of words. Thirty-five years later, she reflects on this. She writes a little bit about her story. She's a research director in Seattle, Washington. She writes, when I was 13, I figured that it would be easier to just drop dead. I didn't know that I had hit the customary angst of puberty. I thought that it was just me. Growing up in my family was like sharing a hotel with a few other guests that you only saw occasionally at meals. My businessman father didn't have much interest in kids. He wanted to see if we amounted to anything first. My attractive mother and her wardrobe lived in this social world. My older brother had his own life, so I hid in my room and read books. In eighth grade, what I had, brains, grades, leadership skills, didn't count anymore. The only thing that counted was looks. Now, I was just a skinny kid with braces, zits, straight hair, a true, plain Jane. My family's word for me was... My dad told me that I should learn to take a joke. Well, Jane goes on to tell back when she was in eighth grade going to a concert by the world-renowned pianist Roger Williams, and how mesmerized she was as she watched him perform his music. She said everybody was just taken in by this concert. To when he finished, the people demanded an encore, and another encore, and another encore. She said there were so many encores, the encores lasted longer than the entire concert had. When he finally finished and ran out of music to play, 
She said the people just stormed the stage, everybody wanting to be close to him, everybody wanting to touch him, maybe get an autograph. And she found her place in the very back of the line. Roger Williams stayed there on the stage for over two hours, signing autographs, shaking hands, posing for pictures. And finally, Jane got her chance. When she approached him, he said to her, well, hello, pretty girl. She writes, I was stunned. Nobody had ever called me pretty before. My mouth must have fallen open because he laughed and said, yes, I do mean you, really. Then with tears rushing to my eyes, I watched him sign my wadded up program. That night, I went home, locked myself in the bathroom, stared at myself in the mirror for a long, long time. I practiced my smile and whispered the words to myself very softly over and over. Well, hello, pretty girl. Thirty-five years later, the impact of just a few words. Today, you and I will have an opportunity to speak words of blessing, words that build up, maybe words that will be remembered 35 years from today. So be a doer of the word by practicing the ministry of blessing. Be a doer of the word with your mouth. And one final suggestion with your hands. This might simply be called the ministry of serving. And again, James is big on this theme. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to serve people, to help those who are in need. This is true religion, James says. So be a doer of the word with your hands and serve. And you can do this. I can do this. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. We can all do this. This last year, the youth pastor in our church invited my daughter, 14-year-old Lindsay, to go with him to a youth specialties conference. Well, Lindsay was very taken by one presentation by a young woman who apparently grew up on the streets of the Bronx in New York City. She grew up really living from trash can to trash can, homeless, and then eventually got herself into Harvard University. It was quite an amazing story, according to my daughter, because she couldn't start ta stop talking about it. Days after coming back from this conference, she said to me on numerous occasions, Dad, did you know that there are hungry kids in the Bronx? 
I said, yeah, it's a sad reality, isn't it? It's an eighth grader. But something clicked in her brain and she just kept bringing this up. You know, there's hungry kids in the Bronx. Well, Dad, don't you think we ought to do something about that? I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And she said, I think I'm going to go there and help feed the hungry children. I said, well, you know, um, yeah, I love your heart. And she said, yeah, that, we, we got to do something. Well, a few weeks later, I was at the church and one of the church members there came up to me and said, hey, by the way, are you going on the mission trip this spring break? I said, I hadn't heard about it. What's that? You, you haven't heard about it? Did you know? Pastor, there are hungry kids in the Bronx. Well, that sounded familiar. And so where's the mission trip? Oh, you haven't heard? Lindsay hasn't told you? We're going to New York City. Really? Yeah, to the Bronx. This spring break? Yeah. You haven't heard about it? No. So I go home, corner my daughter. What are you doing? You can't be announcing a mission trip. How are you going to get there? Who's going to pay for it? And so on. So I don't know, but dad, don't you think we ought to do something about these hungry kids in the Bronx? Well, yeah, but Lindsay, you, you got to cool it on this because, you know, it takes a lot of planning to pull off a mission trip. Well, We'll see. A few weeks later. Again, I'm at the church. Church member approaches me. Pastor, I'm really excited about this mission trip we're all going on. You're coming, aren't you? <laughs> now, what mission trip? Oh, you don't know? There's hungry kids in the Bronx. Don't you think we ought to do something about that? Well, now I am incensed. I am so angry. I race home for one of those come to Jesus talks with my daughter. And I said, Lindsay, you have got to cool this because I love the fact that you care about these kids and and you really liked this young lady's talk at the convention and so on. But do you have any idea how much it costs to go to New York City and how many people are coming? I don't know. Well, where are we going to stay when we get there? I don't know. You don't even have a driver's license. You're 14 years old. How are you going to get there? I don't know. But don't you think we ought to do something to help them? Isn't that like what you were just preaching about last week? I hate that. She starts preaching my sermons to me. That is insubordination. That is not good. I said, sweetheart, you, you just can't be announcing a mission trip to New York City. Are we going to sleep in the streets? I don't know. Do you know how much it's going to cost? I hadn't really thought about that, but I figured God will get us the money somehow, kind of like Al was talking about. You know, God will take care of it. Don't you believe that, Pastor Hafner? <laughs> well, I had that talk on Thursday. 
On Friday, I flew to a church in Northern California, Grass Valley Church, Seventh-day Adventist Church. I know there are a few here from that church and were there that weekend. And when I arrived, uh, one of the elders in the church who was here this morning, he um, handed me an envelope. And I didn't really think much about it until later when I opened it up. It was a check. Now, the elder had explained to me, he said, now, this isn't an honorarium or anything like that. It, this is this is just to go to a mission trip, whatever mission trip you want. <laughs> and so later, I looked inside the envelope and I thought, you know, maybe it was fifty hundred dollars, whatever. But it was like more money than I've ever seen for speaking somewhere at a weekend conference deal. Thousands, plenty of money for my whole family to go to New York City for spring break. (laughs) And so flying home, I had this scary thought that I quickly dismissed, but I couldn't quite get it out of my mind. And I started wondering, surely Lindsay didn't like call ahead to this church. And say, yes, I'm Lindsay, uh, Pastor Hafner's booking agent. He, <laughs> he did clearly talk about the terms for him speaking and the fees involved, didn't he? Oh, he didn't. Let me tell you what they are. I don't think she did that, but I don't have the guts to ask. I don't know how it happened. I do know when I came home... Lindsay was really ecstatic when I told her, you're never going to believe what happened. She was very excited about it, although not very surprised. It was like, well, yeah, I knew somehow we were going to get the money. And so this is last spring break in April. About 35 or 40 of us packed into some vans that we rented. We drove to the Bronx. We had a place to stay there. We were staying on a cold gym floor. They had no hot water there at all. So we all took icy, cold showers for the whole week. Worked hard 12-hour days right there in the Bronx. Went to the love kitchen fed homeless people. We went to the Latino Community Center and volunteered there. We went to a daycare center where we looked after children, played with the kids, right there in the Bronx. All because of one 14-year-old kid I actually uh, talked a little bit last night with one of the families there at Grass Valley, and I said, well, I have a video of that mission trip. And I said, I'll bring it tomorrow. And so I have it actually here on a jump drive if it works. And after, I'm going to meet with that family. And if any of you want to watch sort of the highlights of that mission trip, I'd love to show it to you. But did you know there are hungry people in Lodi. 
They're hungry people in Reno. There are hungry people in Grass Valley. There are people with needs wherever you live. They're everywhere. See, it's not a question of where are the opportunities. They're all around us. We'll have opportunities today, you and I will, to be ministers of the word through our hands, to just look for chances to serve people. See, this is how we lift up Christ. Through our eyes, noticing the needs. Through our ears, empathizing with the heartaches and the hurts of people. With our mouths, speaking words that build people up. With our hands, serving when opportunity presents itself. Another time I was in New York City, years before, it happened that Uh, That weekend was the opening of a play just off of Broadway called Tuesdays with Maury. Well, I, of course, had read the book, as I'm sure most of you have. And I was anxious to see the stage adaptation of this book. And so I purchased the ticket to go with my friend, and we were excited about this. If you haven't read the book, basic story is that of Mitch Album, who is an up-and-coming young sports reporter who lived in Detroit. And uh, he reconnected with an old university professor that he had when he saw this teacher being interviewed by Ted Koppel on Nightline. This professor's claim to fame was simply that he was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. But he was dying with dignity. And, of course, that's a newsworthy story these days because... We're all dying, really. So Mitch decided that he was going to reconnect, and every Tuesday he flew from Detroit to Boston to sit at the bedside of this dying man just to take notes on how to do life, how to live wisely, what this old man could teach him now that he was in the sunset years of his life. Well, as this play was unfolding, there was a high-pitched sound that I thought was the P.A., giving feedback. I wasn't sure. I asked my buddy, what is that? And he said, I don't, I don't know. We happened to be sitting on the front row of the first balcony in this particular theater. Well, at first, I thought that it was all just part of the act. It didn't take long, though, and I realized, oh, this is not scripted. As the man portraying Mitch Album was going on in this monologue, suddenly he just broke character. And he looked to the woman sitting directly below us, and he snapped. He said, do you mind, lady? I'm trying to do a play here, and your hearing aid is driving me nuts. Would you leave the theater? All the house lights came on. You could hear somebody nervously grabbing for the microphone, the speakers overhead. And she said, uh, we'll get this sorted out momentarily. Please, everybody remain in your seats. Just then, a security guard came up to the woman. He took her by the arm. The lady stood up and said, I'm not leaving. I paid for this seat. I have a ticket. I'm not going anywhere. And the actor on stage started to spar with her a little bit and say, no, you have to leave because your hearing aid is ringing and it's bothering me. So please, 
If you could just exit by now, people in the audience are getting into the action, too. People are starting to say through thick Brooklyn accents and so on. Yeah, get out of here, lady, and so on. I'm not going anywhere. Finally, the security guard grabs her by the arm as she sits there and starts to forcefully remove her. That didn't go over so well. She yanks her arm away. Don't you touch me. I will have my attorney contact you. I will sue you in this whole outfit. I'm sorry, but the play is not going to continue until you leave. Yeah, people said, get out of here. Finally, she stood back up to her feet and started to move slowly, ever so slowly to an exit. As she did, people applauded, whistled, laughed. Finally, she had left the building. We heard the voice over the loudspeaker system again, and now we will resume with Tuesdays with Maury. Which, of course, is a play about man who's losing his biological functions and a young man who is saying to him, but you still have so much to give. You have so much to teach us. In the end, they concluded to a long standing ovation. So far as I could tell, everybody in the auditorium stood to their feet, everybody except myself. I just sat there reeling in the irony of this whole deal. Here for 90 minutes, we had all just sat there and watched this play about this old man who's losing his biological functions. And yet the whole point of it is you still are a valued person. You still have a lot to give even though you may not be able to go to the bathroom like you used to because this came up a couple of times in the plane, you may be losing your hearing or whatever, but you're still a valuable person. And yet when we had the perfect opportunity to put the act into action and maybe treat this elderly woman with perhaps a thread of dignity, When that opportunity presented itself, we just missed it. We blew it. Admittedly, I might be a little overly sensitive on that specific topic. Going back to when I was a college student at Walla Walla, my grandma lived in the community and every Sabbath I would take her to church. And often after church, she would be so frustrated And she would say, I'm not going to church ever again. Oh, but why not, Grandma? Well, because my hearing aid goes off and I can't even hear it. It bothers people around me and it's embarrassing. I remember giving her these pep talks. But Grandma, if a kid yells in church or if a hearing aid goes off, don't you think of all places on the planet where people ought to be understanding and loving about that? Don't you think it would be in a church, for pity's sake? She said, well, yeah, and then eventually she'd concede. Okay, I'll, 
I'll go again. But it was so frustrating to her. So my heart really went out to this woman. And I still am just struck by the irony of how we all just sit there and watch this play. But when we had the perfect chance to put the performance into action, we just missed it. And we shredded that poor woman. Well, I'm not an actor. And I'm not reciting some rehearsed lines here. I really do believe that when the people of God gather, that our living God speaks to us through His Word. And I really do believe that's what has happened this morning together. That God has spoken to each of us, calling us not just to watch some act or to hear some rehearsed lines, but now to take this Word and to go And to do the word with your eyes. Notice the needs all around us with your ears. Get into the skin of people and feel their hurts with your mouth. Speak words of blessing that build up with your hands. Go and serve. And in this way, lift up Christ. On the back of the bulletin, you have the closing song. And I think you probably know this by heart. We have this hope that burns within our hearts. And we want you to stand as we sing. this hope that binds our hearts together. Thank you for the promise of your soon return. But until that day, I pray now, God, that your spirit would live in and through us and make us your instruments of your grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.